why is that, you know, war cry of I never missed a birth supposed to be a positive thing? I don't know. So to me, what that says is that you've never put self-care first and foremost. And yeah. I've never missed a birth mentality is what is going to send you into a spiral of burnout. Yeah. Hello, and welcome to Healing Trauma Mamas. I'm your host, Madon Wingo. Thank you for joining us as we share in our stories and experiences of healing from childhood traumas and birth traumas. Listen as we discuss our struggles, our failures, our strengths and our victories, and all those lessons we've learned along the way. Hello, Healing Trauma Mamas listeners. Well, today I get to have a special guest back on the podcast. Today I get to have Christy again from the Perinatal Trauma Center at Blue Columbine. Hello. Hey, welcome back to the podcast, Christy. Thank you so much. We had so much fun last time that we decided we need to do it again, huh? Absolutely. Let's do it. Yeah. Well, last time, what we what we really tried to focus on last time, um, listeners, if you'll remember, is, is really for mamas out there and that may have experienced trauma and ways that they can work through that and um, your program, which is wonderful to, to help them heal and, you know, just some different tips, tools, and resources that they can have um, in order to be able to heal and overcome those either small or big um, traumas that they had. Um, but you and I both are birth workers and interesting, you know, you got into your line of work kind of from what you were seeing in the midwifery world and how I started the podcast was because of what I've been seeing um, in the midwifery world as well, plus my personal um, stuff. And so I think there's a, a lot that we can talk about and discuss with providers and birth workers and the traumas that they see, um, not only the ones that are just happening to their clients, but even situations that they're in that are very traumatic for them, but in a different way when it maybe, you know, wasn't their birth. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have achieved certifications in um, compassion fatigue, which I just flat out love that term mm -hmm. because it's just so well describes. I think what, what really, I think all providers in every inch of healthcare go through, but um, you know, my specialty being OB, being midwifery, um, you know, because it is such an outpouring of giving support in vulnerable moments and we all sadly know not all of those vulnerable moments end well um and every single bit of that can wear on us as providers and the bad thing about that other than quality of life quality of relationships and all of that is safety of practice that you know if we're not able to be in a space where we are not burnt out, where we are feeling ready to go to work, then we can really affect the the outcomes of our patients. And that's a huge responsibility and it's hugely frightening and intimidating. And so, you know, this work and burnout is, is really important work to do. Oh, yes, absolutely. So um, kind of tell me how did it, did, working with providers just come along with the training that you started to do that just because, well, you are a provider and you just saw a need for that? Or was there any particular thing that got you into 
working with traumas on provider and compassion fatigue and and everything that they might be experiencing yeah um i immediately when i was creating the program for um parents thought you know providers may need some debrief time too and created a program for providers that has really sort of blossomed into a whole lot more um i still do offer those debrief you know sessions for providers um but really what I'm working into is more of a, I guess, conference model where we can work on doing a lot more prevention work and a lot more coping with your job work, um, you know, and, and doing that in groups I've found has been just really, really nice because there's that dynamic of being with people who understand what you're going through mm -hmm. um, that's been helpful. Um, but, but yeah, I just, it's, it's just grown from a place of, you know, workers, birth workers need a place to debrief as well into a place of, hey, how do we just work on coping and preventing burnout? Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's sort of been the journey of, of this, the evolution. And it's, it's, again, been just humbling and wonderful to be able to sit with these folks in this, in this line of work and really facilitate some healing there. Yeah, burnout is a huge problem in our line of work. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, yes. would you kind of maybe kind of go into some details about why that happens? You know, I think one thing that's uniquely birth work oriented is the amount of time we spend on call. Um, mm -hmm. we're constantly living in that state of am I going to sleep through the night tonight? Am I going to, you know, okay, I have to leave this family engagement. Am I going to be back in two hours or am I not going to be home for three days? Um, you know, and living in that, I, you know, I, I found for a while, I would have to change up my ringtone every so often on my phone. Um, just because simply like hearing the phone ring would give me that, um, physical bodily reaction. Oh, yes. Just, like hair stand up, like, Ugh. And as long as I would change up my ringtone fairly frequently, I wouldn't get that as much because I hadn't like given myself the message that this means you're leaving your family right now. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that that is, you know, definitely a, a thing that is that is really difficult about birth work. Um, and then I think the nature of being with people during such a major event and in a way that everybody's expecting a healthy and good outcome, you know, as opposed to like working in the ER, it's a toss up, you know, it's, I think that the view of losing a life of somebody that walks into the ER is very different than the view of losing a life in childbirth. Um, and so doing this big outpouring of emotional clinical service work with the expectation that it all is gonna end up well, puts a unique type of strain on us. Um, you know, not to mention that, especially in the midwifery model of care, it's typically one midwife holding two lives completely in her hands. Um, and that's exhausting. Um, you know, for, for doulas, I've worked a lot with doulas and feeling like they're so stuck in trying to help their client get their needs met and maybe coming up against hostile environment um you know all of those things you just can't do over and over and over 
without feeling the effects. And, you know, we just need to work so hard at how we process that. Um, you know, I find myself, as I even speak about this, getting into that heightened state mm -hmm. of being and having to really focus on regulating my own body, mm -hmm. um, place of safety and comfort, um, you know, just thinking about all of it, you know, so. so well, it, it's amazing how that can happen because we talked about that on the last uh, episode that that happened to me while we were having a conversation <laughs> Uh, just because we were bringing up a few things that just kind of already made me feel like, oh, and it was kind of hitting me. And I get that when you've when you've been in that framework for so long of of just being constantly on call and tethered to your phone and, and then you're going to have to go out and you never know whenever. I mean, literally, when we leave the house, we have no clue how long we're going to be gone whatsoever. It would say goodbye. And I yeah, I might see you you know, tonight I might see you in three days. I have no clue. And that's just such a, I mean, any other job like that, it's like, that's insane. <laughs> uh, yeah. But this work, that's just how, what, how it is. And you never know what type of birth it's going to be. You never know exactly how things are going to go. Cause as we acknowledge all the time, we are not in charge. Um, we are there to, to, you know, be with women, not to manage the birth and not to be in charge of the birth, but to be with them, to attend to them. And there's a whole aspect of us just trying to go with it. And at the same time, bring our best self to the table when we're just rolling with it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, you know, we have to put down whatever may be happening in our own lives um, and be able to be fully present. Um, and that can be really stressful and really difficult. Um, sometimes I think it can be relieving. Like if I'm having a stressful day and I go to a birth, well, I don't have to think about that for a little while. That's true. But, you know, <laughs> overall, it's 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 work that we have to do every time we walk into an encounter with a client. Yeah, is to center ourselves, ground ourselves. And we have to be fully present. And I think that takes a lot of yeah. energy when because we work so hard to be fully invested and present and available um, for what all is needed at that birth, that that's exhausting. Yes, it is. But we also it need is. to do that. I mean, that's we know to give good yes, care. Yeah, it's part of the job. It's it's what's needed in order to, you know, help that mom's experience be the best possible. Um, but it is exhausting. So what are some some tips, tools, um, things that you've learned or ways to be able to help providers? Yeah, I think some of the biggest ones come with just having awareness. Um, I find that I run into the biggest walls, the biggest obstacles of working with providers who don't allow themselves the vulnerability of admitting that they are burnt out, um, that we feel like we just should be able to handle it because this is what we signed up for. And, you know, this is how it is. And we don't take the time to acknowledge that, yeah, but we are people too, um, mm -hmm. you know, that we are, you know, 
dealing with the same struggles and the same issues in life that everybody around us is as well. And that we cannot be expected to keep up that level of presence and that level of care without running into compassion fatigue, without running into burnout and exhaustion. Um, and so I think, you know, that's sort of number one tool of coping is being able to acknowledge it wholeheartedly and say, you know, just as I did a minute ago that like, yeah, talking about it made my body really reactive and like, because I feel it. And every time that I feel it overwhelmingly, I know that I need to say, okay, I'm feeling really burnt out today. And how do I change that up? Um, so, so acknowledgement is huge. I think that um, support network is really, really huge, but we have to do that in a very intentional way. Um, I personally have a group of, there's four, four of us that we will peer review together, but also can be there for each other when we need to just debrief an experience that's happened. Mm. And to be able to do that with boundaries so that you don't ever have to worry that I'm just going to call you and just dump a traumatic birth story of a you know difficult birth that I attended onto you mm -hmm. um, when you may not be ready to hear it. You know, being able to do that with, uh, hey, I need to talk to somebody about this particular experience that just happened. You know, who's available? Yeah, I find that really hard sometimes because because you don't because it was like maybe it was a really rough situation. You don't want to dump that. You don't want to put that on somebody else because you don't want them to have to feel the way you felt or um even just sometimes even just hearing like a terrible story you're like why did you tell me that that was awful you know I don't want to know that <laughs> basically so I think it sometimes it can put um providers in a spot where they're like who can I talk to about this I need to talk to somebody about it um but I don't want to put it on to somebody else yeah. And we need to also obviously be careful about privacy and all of that. Of course. And, you yes. Know, there are stories in appropriate circles without using names. Um, I just want to put Absolutely. that out there. Yes. It matters. But, um, but yeah, to, to set it up with boundaries like that, where you can ask, you know, is somebody available to talk with me about this story that happened to me? Then your support group, your peer group has the option to say, you know, I'm having a really rough day. I can't do that right now. But there's somebody else in the group that will say, yeah, let me get myself grounded and let's set up a time to, you know, make a phone call. And so with those boundaries comes safety, right? Like the knowing that if you see so-and-so's number pop up on the phone, they're not going to just do that to you. Or you as the person needing to talk can trust the boundary that Nobody's going to listen to your story who's not ready to listen to your story. Mm -hmm. And so being able to have that support network with those really firm boundaries in place is what makes it feel safe for everybody involved because we need to debrief it. We need to talk about it and we need to be able to do that in a way that makes us feel safe and makes our listener feel safe. Yeah, absolutely. That is all about boundaries. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, what type of services do you offer for providers? So I absolutely offer um, individual debrief sessions in which we get the body nice and regulated. And then we talk about the story and, um, 
you know, it, just a really safe, stable place for providers to be able to, you know, talk to somebody. Um, and so that's the one-on-one -on -one work that I do. Um, and then I offer um, seminars, conferences, basically, for groups of providers, um, you know, groups of local doulas, groups of local midwives, OBs, labor and delivery nurses, um, really anybody that works in the birth field. Um, I offer like lunch hour seminars that, you know, are shortened, but just sort of good check-in that I have been really sort of catering to OB offices just because time allowed that that lunch hour thing can be really, right. really helpful. Yeah, that's um, great. I, I'm offering, you know, more like full day seminars and I'm working into doing some weekend escape kind of work. Um, would really love to do several times a year, do weekends for birth workers from all over to come together and do some burnout work. That's a great idea. Um, so do, if, if I was, um, you know, a provider, say, say one of the births I go to in the next couple of weeks, there's some traumatic issue with that or something that for me was something that I really need to talk to. And I don't have very many midwives around here. And I know sometimes, I mean, I have a few that I'm good friends with, but sometimes it's really hard for us to talk to even that group of friends and you would probably know this from peer review but sometimes that's difficult because maybe I made a mistake right mm -hmm. and maybe I don't necessarily want to post my mistake to <laughs> or announce my mistake um to my local you know midwife friends even though I'm sure they would be gracious and and help me that can be you know difficult sometimes so do you have an option where if could I contact you and be like hey this I had this really this birth I really need some help with yes I do um and I guarantee getting um any provider in within 48 48 hours of contacting me oh, um, that's awesome like special slots available for those emergent appointments. Um, That's and wonderful. I, I absolutely offer that. Um, but on the subject of I made a mistake and I don't want to share it, that is such a common thing because, again, I will say it a million times, we are human beings. We don't always do everything right. Um, it, it just is how it is. And then with our legal system set up the way it is, we're, you know, conditioned that we can never admit our mistakes because, you know, heaven forbid, we oh, have liability. Action. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it's, it's very difficult. And what that really creates is this atmosphere of being, yeah, ashamed to share anything that you may have done wrong. Um, and, you know, the thing about guilt, feeling guilty about doing something wrong is that if we keep it locked up inside of us and we don't speak it and we don't share it, that's when it grows and turns into shame. You know, guilt is over the action. Shame becomes a who, who we are thing. Um, and so I just highly, highly urge any provider that's walking around feeling that way, and we all have and we all will, to to speak it. And if it needs to be, yes, a session with me, if you need to open it up for your group of people so that they can hear that you're also human and <laughs> you also messed up, you know, that's going to make them feel better about times that they did. But 
ultimately when we start speaking that guilt, it doesn't get to worm its way into our dirty little secrets place. It goes away. Mm. It gets up and it leaves because we don't let it become this little shame worm. Yeah, that's, that's a very good point. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, can... I mean, it's, it's hard because we, we have the message that we need to be all things for all people all the time. And that is an utterly impossible expectation. Yes, exactly. Well, and I've heard this, I've heard that exact saying numerous times uh, from different midwives because that's how they feel a lot. Mm-hmm. That That's what we have to do. And it's, that's not possible. That's really not possible because there's no way that I can give a hundred percent to my clients, a hundred percent to myself and hundred percent to my family. It's yep. just not possible. Um, so trying to navigate that is, you know, a very challenging spot. Yes, it is always work. How would you find the balance? Um, I'm curious because I've I found I've talked to so many midwives and such the struggle that the work life family balance um, that they have because of that on-call lifestyle, because of that constantly having to answer the phone, answer the texts, the emails, you know, um, or check in on wh- whoever. All of that is draining because we have families at the same time and they are the ones that, you know, you're playing with your kid and the phone rings and sorry, I'm, I'm done. You know, I'm, I'm out of here or mom keeps, you know, texting because this mom is having trouble breastfeeding and I'm needing to help her. And, you know, all those things like we're so like you said, the compassion fatigue, we're so like we need to help because we're all in this work because we've feel a drive towards it, right? We really, really want to help these women and are called to this work, but the balance can be so difficult at times. Yes, it absolutely can. Um, it Carl Jung years ago, and back in like, I don't know, 1928, made this whole speech or this whole, you know, talk about how the physician loses himself when he goes into the mind of the patient. Um, that when the physician and the patient commingle, that's how the physician can best treat the patient. But you think about, yeah, how toxic that is, is that we are losing ourselves in order to offer a certain standard of care. Like it's just not, it's it's not sustainable. It's not healthy. Um, and so I think that really an answer to that question, boundaries are just, hugely important. Um, You know, having very realistic communication boundaries set up with your patient load of how and when things will get answered and, um, you know, taking time to unplug, um, taking a weekend off, you know, having somebody take call for you. And yes, it's an outpouring of money. And, you know, it can be difficult for a client if, you know, the, the midwife that they were counting on is away for that particular weekend. However, it's necessary. It's necessary mm-hmm. to turn off from time to time. Um, you know, I, when I was practicing full-time with midwifery, I highly limited my client load. Um, you know, there's, there's practices in town that are taking on huge client loads and 
bad things are happening. Um, you know, I, I always kept my client load highly limited so that I would build in that time off um, because that's the only way that this, this work is sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, on a day-to-day basis, just continuing to work with those boundaries, not feeling like you have to jump every second at every phone call. But if your client understands, I will get back to you with any issue that's not an emergency, I will get back to you within 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's usually much, much sooner than that. But, you know, for things like rescheduling appointments or, you know, that that aren't emergent healthcare needs. I think that's a little bit, I, I found an, a slight, I say slight, but there's an issue in our day and time where everybody can can contact each other at a moment's notice and know mm-hmm. whether or not you saw that they contacted you, right? So like you can you can send a message and because it's so instant and so quick that instead of when maybe, you know, years ago, a mom might've been making a list of questions for her midwife or for her provider. And then when she got to her appointment, then she's going to ask all those questions, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of that, I'm getting questions or as an example we're getting questions daily from from the same mom well to her she may just be like oh I thought of it so I'm asking her since I have access to her because we do have to keep our phones on us at all time and have to have you know client has have access to us but those boundaries I think is difficult sometimes with a generation where they're so quick to just quickly send a text or something and ask a quick question that that all those add up to a lot of time. Yes. And that's why really setting the expectations and following through with them for your clients is important by saying anything that's not an emergency, you can feel free to ask me during business hours from you know nine to five, Monday through Friday, any other questions, you know, will be answered whenever, but like, you cannot call me at nine o'clock at night to ask about changing your appointment time. Um, you know, the way I phrase it to my to my clients is, you know, while you may turn your phone onto silent mode, I don't ever have that freedom. And so, you know, please respect that even though you just sent that text because you're thinking of it now in this moment, that's not, you know, I'm gonna get that text yep. in that moment. So please, you know, I actually have them sign a form with my expectations of what business hours um, conversations are like versus what rates as emergencies. Do you feel like they adhere to that pretty well? I do. I do. Because we sit and discuss it very clearly. um, And I follow through with that. I will not answer a text about rescheduling an appointment at nine o'clock at night. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, unless like, we had to go to the emergency room for my child with RSV and our appointment is first thing in the morning and they're trying to be courteous, you know, I mean, there's obviously always exceptions to everything, but like, you know, any, anything that's not emergent, I will not answer after business hours. And so that helps my clients understand that, okay, this boundary that was set down is something that I can trust that she will follow through with. And so they do too. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, our, our clients, of course, are pregnant maybe with their first baby and there's a lot of things that are unknown and scary and they need that support. Um, but I've found that they're also 
deeply compassionate human beings who don't want to bother or annoy their provider. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, I think that, like you said, a lot of times those questions come through because like, oh, it's, I was thinking of it and yes, I can just shoot this text right now. And, you know, so being able to just have those clear, open communications about those boundaries is effective because yes, you really do cut down a lot of the traffic of those phone calls, but also it helps your clients feel safe because they can trust that you will answer them when you said you will answer them, but that you will also be there for emergencies. It helps them feel safe with knowing how communication will work, which, you know, in the long term is going to make them feel safer communicating with you during the birth and, Mm -hmm. you know, with any vulnerable questions they may have. If they can trust that what you say is what you will do, that makes everybody feel better and safer and more solid. That's a great point. Like, I don't think I'd ever really thought of it that way. Cause though, cause we talk about, you know, the, the mamas, the parents preparing, you know, for how they're going to parent by how the pregnancy goes and, and everything, you know, leading up to and working through that. But that's the same thing. So with the provider, you're already setting standards of how how the birth more is going to go or you know we're always talking about we're establishing trust together we're, we're learning getting to know each other right um all throughout the pregnancy so that we're building and building and building to this trust so that at the birth when if i say something they're gonna know i can trust exactly you know what she says this is i need to listen this is exactly what's going on or what i need to do or whatever the case might be yep 100 percent I think another mistake that um, is often made in the midwifery world is offering care that's outside the scope of our practice, Mm. Um, you know, because we are accessible, whereas, you know, doctors aren't always able to be as accessible as midwives are, um, you know, and so they will ask us, I mean, I get questions about, you know, a skin rash that's clearly not pregnancy related. It's, I'm not talking about like pups or things like that, but like, you know, a a skin rash and early in my practice, I would, you know, do research on it and like, see if I could figure (laughs) out what it was to like help this mom work through this. And that is a not safe because it is not my specialty, but B it's not in the scope of my care. And so that can absolutely contribute to burnout if we are trying to like do our scope of care and all this other stuff and so being able to say you know that's not really within the scope of what I'm able to help you with go to urgent care call a dermatologist or you know like offer another option but you know even with with breastfeeding we as midwives we know a lot about pregnancy and birth and relatively speaking, not, you know, on the scale of like literal what you know, but relatively speaking in the scope of your practice, we know a lot less about any kind of baby care that's out of the realm of normal, any breastfeeding issues that are out of the realm of normal. Like we know stuff, obviously, mm-hmm. but I have found it has been the greatest relief possible in my practice to be able to refer out is when, okay, you're having this problem with your baby. Let's see, you know, tongue tie is so big these days. Like we're having breastfeeding issues. Let's get a lactation consultant involved and get the baby evaluated for a tongue tie. 
all of these things out of the scope of my care, but I can help refer you. Mm -hmm. Um, When we stop taking on the role of being everything for everyone, our clients actually get better care because they see specialists. They see the people that they need to see who have expertise in any, you know, infant care that's out of the realm of normal, because that's our job, right? We care for people within the realm of normal and we care for normal, uncomplicated deliveries. Yeah. And when we start taking on more than that, then we're increasing our burnout big time. Yeah, that's funny. I had a very similar situation happen last night that, and I had somebody asking me about this, this, and this, and that's not you know, I'm like, that's, that's beyond my, but hold on. And I start looking up and I'm next thing I know, I've been 20 minutes searching and researching online and all this kind of stuff. And then I was thinking, wait, why did I just do all that research instead of them doing all that research? (laughs) Because they could have the same access to the same stuff. And yeah. And and I should have just been like, you know what? I don't really know much about that, but that's, that's a good thing for you to research. Yeah. You know, that's out of the scope of my care. I would call your primary care doctor. Exactly. So I think that that's, that's big. And I think that that's, you know, we talk in the world of burnout with about, about career maturity and how at the beginning of our career, you know, when we're, we're just learning and everything is so new and so exciting and we're getting into our practice and we're starting these things. And that's when we go just full bore, hundred percent, everything for everybody constantly. And it, it feels good because you get like affirmation from your clients who are like, man, my midwife's awesome. She, you know, called me back at all hours of the day, every day. And so like, you're feeling good and you're feeling like you're succeeding and doing this well. And then you start getting tired and you start getting resentful Mm -hmm. and you're resenting your clients. And yet you're trying to fight through that because I shouldn't feel those feelings. But, you know, you're, you're in this situation because you've set up the communication barrier in that way. And so then you're sort of stuck. And then, you know, you may have a really difficult birth with a really difficult outcome that makes you doubt yourself completely. And you get into that phase of practice, the next phase of practice, where the the reality of this as a career kicks in and where the compassion fatigue starts to just become overwhelming. And that this is the, you know, timeline in your career where you may dread every time the phone rings, where you've gone on vacation and you come back and you go back on call and you're just dreading it wholeheartedly with every inch of your being. And, you know, you step back and you look at that, hopefully, you know, ideally, and you do some work on that. You revamp your practice and you think, how do I continue this practice with these boundaries and you create your boundaries and you create your resiliency plan. And then you enter the maturity phase of your practice where you have found how to make it sustainable and how to make it work for you and your patients. Well, there's nothing wrong with when you realize things are not going, you know, this is not a good sustainable way to go to stop and do an about face and figure out, okay, what can we do to change this? So that it definitely works better for me and is a win-win for both sides. So that's great for established midwives. Um, I'm thinking since, you know, I'm a senior, I'm a senior student. This is this, I'm in my third year. And I was just, as you were talking about that, I was thinking about, well, 
this is just such a wonderful topic to talk about with students, right? To how can you start out without getting to that point where you it's already you're already got to that resentful stage and then you have to do an about face. But how can we start out better? Because this isn't a sprint. (laughs) If we want this to be a long, sustainable career, then we need to start out with the right tools, the right boundaries, the right, um, the right a mental um, aspect of of how we want to see this run and then so what steps do we need to take to do that because I'm I was just thinking that these things happen even you know as as a student I realized the other day that I was on the phone um, either texting or actually on talking on the phone almost all day long and it wasn't even with clients it was with all these other people who know I'm in the line of work that I'm doing and who had questions and friends and, you know, and acquaintances and just all these different people. And because of that compassion and because of that, this is, I love this work and I really want to, you know, help all people. Right. I spent literally all day doing that and it wasn't even for clients and ignored my family and didn't get the things done that I had anticipated that I was going to get done. And for what? Yeah. Well, yeah. And then what that leads to is the beginning of that resentment that I was talking about. I think, and I hate to say it, but I think that a little bit of that is inevitable because that is how a practice grows and matures is by learning the hard way on some of these things. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that there's ways that we can be intentional and soften that as it goes. Um, You know, you, you, began this the thought plane talking about um being able to avoid what's what's coming up and how to change your practice as needed all of that takes intentionality and presence and awareness and so you know having some sort of mindfulness work around your work is really important um you know just i try to have a very set like morning routine and in that time is my time to like enter into the day of work. Um, you know, I, I'm lucky enough to work from home right now. My office is in my home, but at the end of the day, my I have a I have an office dog who is a lovely emotional support dog. For <laughs> and he spends his day just laying under my desk and is with me. And so at the end of the day, I finish what I'm doing. I turn off my lights. I close down my charting and I tell my dog, Rocky, I say, Rocky, are you ready to go home from work now? Mm. And I say that to him every day and every day we stand up and leave the office and close the door. And that to me is a symbolic exercise of closing out the, that part of the day. Um, being able to have those types of boundaries in your practice are r- really important. And so, you know, when you found that you had spent your entire day talking with people about this work that you're very excited about doing and the negative effects that that ended up having on your day. Um, you know, the boundary that I would suggest is set a timeline for yourself. This is the time of day where I will return texts and calls about that. Um, and we get so caught up in this, this world of being able to have accessible information at our fingertips and mm-hmm. being able to like talk to people constantly and, it's setting up this unrealistic expectation that people will call you back right away or to answer your text within an hour. And 
you know, but being able to give yourself the boundary of this isn't a life or death situation. This isn't something that I have to answer the phone for. I have enough of that with the job. This is something that I can take care of during the hours of two and four o'clock on Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Yeah. And then that way you can do that work that you really enjoy. You can help, you know, spread and grow this field. You can do those things that you want, but you, you have safety in the fact that it's only happening during these times, you know what to expect out of it. Yeah. I, I like that. That's, that's awesome. Uh, Cause we do that in other things, right? We set this day for that and this day for that. Um, I just find it can be difficult because of that compassion side which is for me is a is a big struggle because I mean I see a mama in the store struggling with her baby and I want to jump in and swoop you know and be like hey can I help you out you know (laughs) Uh, just because and and that's as a mama too I think you know we do that often where we see another mama struggling or something then we we just want to go around and and help them and I just you know that balance is just at times just so difficult because I, I want to love on everybody and, and help everybody. But that's, I guess that's just really not what I'm called to do, right? Well, yeah, I mean, you're an empath. Most of us that do this work absolutely are. But I think that the question that we often have to ask ourselves multiple times every day is, I'm helping at the expense of what? Mm-hmm. Um, because it's not selfish to take care of self. Um, it's actually 100% necessary you know the help that you'll be giving when you're not in a balanced state is not wholehearted help anyway um so really trying to understand at what expense am i doing this um you know like if you see a mama in the store that really needs help but yet like one of your kids is super sick and Mm -hmm. like your your first job is is to take care of yourself and your child. And sometimes that means not jumping in. And that is hard. It is hard, but it's not selfish. It's just really taking that moment of awareness to examine at what expense, at what cost. Yeah, I love that you brought that up because I actually have had that situation where I had a very ill child and had to put everything aside um, to, to, and to me, that was an easy decision, although, you know, it had some hard components of it, but that was an easy decision because it's again, caring for somebody else, right? Um, That, okay, I'm putting all these things on hold and put it to the side and surely other moms can understand that I've got to go take care of my baby, you know? It gets more complicated when it's yourself, right? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was like, but then when it's you, (laughs) you know, when it's our children and it's like, yep, I'm still taking care of somebody and they need to be taken care of. And is my child trumps somebody else's child, right? Um, Which I think it should. I think midwives a lot of times get those, that balance mixed up. But we're so used to helping other mamas. And when it comes to a situation where it's either that mom's baby or, or my baby, it needs to be my baby. And that's surely that's what we're teaching our moms, right? That, Hey, you're, you're, you need to put your child first, right? You are standing up for your child in whatever situation it is. And we should be modeling that as well. But then 
we also need to be modeling that putting ourselves first, you know, knowing when, hey, that's too much. I need to breathe or, you know, I need a break or I need time set aside that I haven't been taking at all. Because don't we tell that to our moms all the time, especially in pregnancy and postpartum? Hey, hey, mama, you're doing too much. You need to take some time. You need to to rest. You need to have you been taking care of yourself. And how do they learn to trust us if that's not what we're modeling? Yep. Um, I, in my second year of practice, I had like the full on flu, like 104 fever, mm. was super sick and attended two births in that time <sighs> um, because I, you know, informed my client, like I have the flu and both of the clients in that window said, but we just want you to come anyway. We like, we need you. And so I went to birth in a mask before masking was a thing and you know double gloved and and I think back on that and just how stupid that was yeah <laughs> like even give the client that choice like no you just don't go to a birth when you have the flu um you know not only was it irresponsible because of contagiousness I mean I was very careful but still you know I mean that that, that was utterly utterly irresponsible but also, I why would I do that to myself? You know, I had I have a good midwifery community here of people that would go attend those births for me. Um, and honestly, at the end of the day, give those families much better experiences because they're fully present. They're not suffering from 140 yeah. years, you know, struggling to hold your head up. I'm sure. Yeah, and so I mean talking earlier about like having a hard time admitting when we've made mistakes like that I have talked about that enough I I don't have a hard time admitting at all what a silly mistake that was total mm -hmm. rookie right like I was so stuck in that mindset of I am like I've created the relationship with these these families and like I'm the only one that can be there for them and not only is that egotistically ridiculous it's destructive Mm -hmm. and you know talk about resenting being at a birth you know one of those ended up being a hospital transport and I went with them which I should not have they had a doula like I should have gone home and gone to bed didn't sat there at the hospital for you know hours and hours and hours because nothing happens fast there the sick I'm like why would I do that to yeah myself? yeah it is it is egotistical. Like you, I, I mean, I was thinking the same thing. Like, why do we assume that or get it on our mind that, oh, we are the one that has to has to be there. We are, you know, like we're their person and we're the only one that will make it, you know, be OK for them. It would be ruined if if we didn't make it for them. Yeah. That is very egotistical. And and that's what a what a discredit to all the other midwives. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And so like what that equals is poor patient care, yep. compassion, fatigue, burnout. Like that's what you get out of that. When instead I could have made the decision, I am super sick. I'm going to call a backup. Those patients, I mean, I can say with 90% certainty that that hospital transport would have still happened. Um, there's a lot of things going on there, but, but what if, what if it didn't need to happen? You know, what if it was something that I made that decision because of how sick I was feeling? 
you know, yeah. like we, we've got to do what's best for our, our, our patients. And that is a hundred percent also doing what's best for us. Caring. Yeah, for us. absolutely. And because, again, like you said, modeling that. Yeah. Because how are we going to, how are in the world, are we going to show our mamas that they need to put, you know, themselves, they need to take care of themselves. So they, they need that rest time. They need to not be doing all the things postpartum and let other people do it for them. You know, how in the world are we going to be able to teach that to them or show them that if we're not modeling it at all? Yeah. Not by showing up to their birth with the flu. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Which is funny, you know, in the aftermath of COVID, I might be vilified for telling that story, right? Uh, well, we all do those things, <laughs> right? But, you know, I mean, it was, it was, like I said, it was talking about earlier in the immaturity period of my career where I was just, yeah, I have to be there 100% for everyone. And I remember one of the first births that I missed um, because I was at another birth and how much that broke my heart. But at the end of the day, like, it didn't matter. Like I still got to work with that family through prenatal and postpartum. We still had a wonderful care relationship and she had a fantastic birth. And so, you know, I was in tears leaving the other birth that I had missed her, but then it was like, you know what? That it just, it doesn't matter mm -hmm. because everybody had the experience that they needed. Yeah. And if you can, if you can really, I mean, fully believe that if you're supposed to be there, you'll be there, right? Like I'll be available and present where I can and I'll do my my best, right? But if I'm unable, I'm physically unable or I'm, that's what I say about like if somebody goes into labor and you're already at another birth, well, I'll be where I'm supposed to be, yep. right? And yep. that's the best way I can figure out with that. But I've, even as, as a student, I've done the same thing that you're, you're talking about. I didn't have the flu, but I had a horrible kidney infection and we didn't know how big it was at the time, but I had a humongous cyst on my one remaining ovary that was starting to torque around my uterus. Oh my and God. I couldn't, I couldn't sit down at the birth because I was in so much pain. But instead of telling my preceptor that, hey, I am in tremendous amount of pain, I need to go home. No, that's not what I did, because as a student, you're supposed to, you know, be at every birth. You don't miss a birth. Everybody talks about I never missed a birth, you know, that type of a thing. And I didn't. I stayed and I did the whole thing. And I literally left that birth at like six in the morning and drove straight to my doctor's office. Yeah. And that was Why stupid. Why is that, you know, war cry of I never missed a birth supposed to be a positive thing? I don't know. So to me, what that says is that you've never put self-care first and foremost, and yeah. that I've never missed a birth mentality is what is going to send you into a spiral of burnout. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And not being able to admit, even if, I don't know, say, I know that preceptor would have been understanding, but say that she hadn't have been understanding about it. Right. Um, Cause I, I've had some others that would have been like, nope. You know, you come to every single one, you miss out, then maybe I won't count the next one for you or something like that, which I think is a terrible attitude to have. Um, but even if you're in that, to, that's still learning as a midwife to stand up for yourself. Yes. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's a terrible 
difficulty of being a student because you know the pressure is on and then you're setting yourself up for practice in that same way of all the things for all the people all the time except for me um and you know preceptors that are like that are like that because that's how they were raised and you know it's this whole cycle I know it's this terrible cycle that I keep seeing over and over and over and I'm like when are we going to stop this it's yeah it's creating an atmosphere of burnout before a career even begins Mm -hmm. and that's not creating safe care providers no, no. And, and it's this attitude of, well, that's how it was when I was going through school or that's when I was training. So that's how it's going to be for you. Well, surely we can stop and recognize that did not work well. Yeah. You know, that I did not learn good things from that. Yeah, absolutely. And so, so being able to, you know, next time you've got a health issue going on, and, you know, I would always be proactive, reach out to your provider or your preceptor before something happens, but just say, For hey, sure. I have a terrible kidney infection. I am taking this job very seriously. And I, in doing so, I want to make sure I give you enough of a heads up to have a backup deployed because I need to take care of my body right now. Yeah. And to know that that in some circumstances may be met with animosity and it shouldn't be. And the hope is that that preceptor that's like, well, you know, clearly you're not taking this seriously or whatever. Hopefully somewhere in the back of her mind, there'll be a moment of, oh, wow, that's an interesting thought, taking care of your horrible health problem. Yes. (laughs) Well, and because you know that those midwives that are, are, have, have that type of a response you know that it's because they've done the exact same thing and they probably are dealing from a place of hurt towards their preceptor or towards their situation or resentment for situations they've had to be in the past. Um, Suffering from compassion fatigue. Yep. Yep, for sure. So we have ways to get past that. We do. We do, absolutely. And I, you know, one of the things that I go back to the most often is boundaries and how to set them, and what they look like um, in a practice where on-call is a thing, mm-hmm. you know, and as a student, how to set boundaries with your preceptor, and for your preceptor to set boundaries with you, and none of this happened during my apprenticeship leg of things, um, you know, it was just, it was like you're talking about, it's just that, well, you know, you're, you just show up, and that's just what you do, and you're lucky to be here, and yep go for it. And, but I think that, you know, sitting down with your preceptor and having a meeting and saying, I need to understand very clearly what your expectations of me are. And then we need to talk about how to execute that. Um, You know, and then when you're in practice, doing the same thing with your clients. Yeah. Or what your expectations of me are as a provider. And I need to be able to speak with you openly about which of those are realistic for me and which of those are not. And if we don't meet a reasonable understanding, then we have to be able to recognize when, hey, then maybe this is not the best relationship. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, but in that, things are still going to happen. And things are still going to happen that build up burnout and build up compassion fatigue. And, you know, and so then that's where the resiliency skills on the other side are so important. Um, You know, when you have left a difficult birth, 
finding some sort of routine, you know, like I was talking about me and my dog leaving the office at the end of the day and making our commute across the living room. Um, but, you know, just finding some sort of totem, so to speak, some sort of routine of closing out the experience to help the body, again, we'll go back into this idea of the body and safety and regulation to help the body to understand that the, situa the situation is over. Whatever has happened has ended and we are in a place of safety. Um, you know, whether that's as you drive away from the home, listening to a certain song, um, you know, in, in the trauma program, I hand out, I have a big bowl full of um, polished stones and I hand out a stone and, you know, coach to use that stone, like whenever you're doing any kind of like breath work or, um, you know, we talked in our last one about that daily practice of just simply taking a minute to breathe here and there when you think about it and, you know, holding that stone while you do that. So it becomes this association in the hand, in the muscle memory of the body being at rest, at peace and completely regulated. And so, you know, when you leave a difficult birth, grabbing your stone in your hand and just taking a few breaths, just these things to make the shift in the body so that the body can understand that it's safe. Mm. Um, you know, obviously these things don't make a bad outcome feel better all of a sudden, but being able to make the shift and then that's when we want to start to be able to activate that support network of how do I work through the story of what I just witnessed. Um, you know, that leads a little bit into the idea of secondary trauma that is so difficult if you've had the misfortune of attending a loss or a stillbirth or anything like that. And the, the intense feeling of confusion of, I feel this acute grief, but yet it's not mine. Like it, it belongs to this family and it feels almost like you're taking their grief from them, but wait, I was there too. I mean, there's just so many, mm conflicting feelings that go into attending a bad outcome um you know and that's all aside from the guilt like that's that's something you know as as we've talked about that's that's a whole separate issue that we can talk more about if you want in a minute but but just the con the the conflicting feelings of owning the trauma that doesn't feel like it's yours to own um and how how do we do that and the support network, the debriefing, the, the learnings to tell your story in a relaxed body state, all of those things that we work with with the um, Birth Trauma Survivors Program, it, it all applies there too, of being able to get your body to understand that it's safe and it's okay, because you're inevitably going to walk into another delivery room and you have to be there and you have to be in your body when you're there. Um, I had an experience years ago of a umbilical cord prolapse that the outcome ended up great. It was just a really very intense 56 minutes of my life. Mm. Um, and the next time I was at a birth where, and this was, this was a, spontaneous rupture. I did not artificially rupture her, but I was at a birth um, several weeks after that where the, the mom had requested to be ruptured. Um, and I definitely had to get inside my body for that um, after, you know, working very intensively 
for a good outcome with this this prolapse that happened with the spontaneous rupture. When this mom asked me to do that, even though I think she was correct, it was the right choice for what was happening. I really had to get my body in order to perform that and to say, <laughs> okay, you know, I told myself all sorts of little silly things like statistically, I should never see another prolapse in my practice ever. So <laughs> this is probably the safest person to rupture. <laughs> That's ever. true. <laughs> tell ourselves, but really what it came down to was getting myself into a regulated state of body and understanding that what I was feeling heightened about was not happening currently, that this was a completely different, different situation and that I was safe. And that the decision to do this was based off of all of the things that I knew about safety of rupturing membranes. You know, mama was at a good stage of labor. The baby's head was so low and engaged. I don't know how a prolapse would have even been possible. You know, all of those safety issues were in place. And I ruptured her and she had a baby 20 minutes later and all was well, everything was perfect. But, um, you know, I just bring that up to illustrate how important it is to deal with our our traumas as providers so that we don't walk into these situations carrying every single other birth that's ever happened to us mm-hmm. we need to be able to process put them down regulate in our body tell ourselves and teach our bodies that they're safe so that we can be present and we can offer the best care possible yep exactly that's uh that's the goal. Mm-hmm. So, um, would you mind letting the listeners know again how they can contact you and be part of your birth trauma survivors program? Yeah, absolutely. I think the best way is just through the website, um, perinataltraumacenter.com. Um, there's links on there for providers as well as for um, birth trauma survivors to be able to get in touch with me and get into the programs. Um, you know, again, I do guarantee if you're a provider needing to debrief a session that I will get you in within 48 hours of contact, um, usually a lot sooner, but I, I give myself that boundary so that we all know that we're safe, Good idea. Um, <laughs> but, but I, you know, we'll get you in for that debrief. If you're interested in setting up any kind of, um, seminar, I am willing to travel. Um, and you can reach me through the website there as well. Um, I am on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok as Perinatal Trauma Center. Um, so you can find me all those places. I'm really bad at TikTok, but I'm getting better. <laughs> I have not even broached it. <laughs> I'm yeah. staying away from it because I just know I'm barely treading water with Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's yeah, but, but yeah, you can reach me all those places. Okay. Well, do you have any other, you've given us so many things to nuggets of advice that I'm just, I'm, I'm going to have to writing notes when I go back and listen um, to the podcast uh, to get it ready to air. But I just, I, I feel like you've provided so many different resources and just tools um, for providers. Is there any last thing that you'd like to, to just impart to us? Yeah, I think the big takeaway is diligence, is that this is all practice, and it's all practice that needs to be constantly continuing. Um, You know, being resilient through burnout isn't a thing that you do one time in your career. It's a choice that you make every single day when you go to work, when you encounter your patients. And so just really being intentional and being diligent 
um, really checking in with yourself before every client contact. Um, you know, that can look like a 10 minute meditation that can look like a 10 second, how am I doing? Okay, I'm good. But just being intentional, aware, present in your body. It takes, it takes constant work, but it's worth it. Thank you for listening. May you be encouraged and strengthened by what you've heard today. Remember, you are dearly loved by your creator. So be who he created you to be. May you go in peace, friends. Till next time. Shalom.